You're listening to another New Hope Chapel podcast. Hi, this is Justin Hibbard, pastor of New Hope Chapel. I wanted to thank you for listening to this message from our teaching team, and I pray that God uses it to touch your heart. We're going to be talking about Thanksgiving. I I love Thanksgiving. It's my favorite time of the year, Um, even better than Christmas, because I don't have to buy any presents. And the other thing that's really just fun is just the, the, the food and the warmth and, and um, the, the family time. It's just a really special time for us and our family. Um, a lot of people have favorite dishes that they like to have at Thanksgiving. Um, I have two favorites that um, my in-laws kind of balked at when I first joined the family. One is sauerkraut, and the other is turnip casserole. And everyone made faces at the beginning, but they all love it now. And um, I'm sure you have your favorites, too. In the Coleman family, Thanksgiving is all about the food. That's the main thing. But, of course, the real point of the holiday is what Justin did this morning, giving thanks and remembering to um, thank God for all that he's done for us. It was um, a holiday right from almost the very beginning of our country. It was, has been celebrated, but Pe- President Lincoln made it official. Um, um, he told, said that the fourth Thursday of November would be the day of Thanksgiving for our country. And it was an interesting time when he did it because it was right smack in the middle of the Civil War. And so he, ended, uh, he was trying to unify the country, I think, with, with uh, having this day where everyone was thanking God and, and uh, hopefully unify it. It didn't work out so well. But, um, <laughs> and they, became, they switched days every once in uh, uh, President Roosevelt switched the day one time. But finally, um, in the 40s, they ended up on the fourth Thursday of the month, and that's why we celebrate thanks. Being grateful, counting our blessings, has always been a theme for writers and um, philosophers over the years. I found a quote by Cicero, who was actually around the first century B.C., and this is what he wrote about thankfulness. He said, Gratitude is not only the greatest of virtues, but the parent of all the others. It's the beginning, okay? Um, And then a modern-day writer also chimed in. He said, uh, this is Frank Clark, who's an American writer and cartoonist. He said, if a fellow isn't thankful for what he's got, he isn't likely to be thankful for what he's going to get. And I think that's so true. And if you want any quotes on Thanksgiving, Google it, and oh boy, there's plenty out there for you. The Bible has a lot to say about gratitude, too. So I thought we should spend a few minutes this morning just talking a little bit about gratitude. We're going to be looking at a parable, not a parable, excuse me, a story of 10 lepers who were healed from their disease and one of whom came back to thank God. So let's go ahead and pray and we'll get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story. We'd ask, Lord, with your Holy Spirit that you'd give us spiritual eyes and understanding. Help us to see what you intended in this message, um, in this story, and help us to Uh, Take it to our hearts. Transform us with your word, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to be taking a look at uh, Luke chapter 17. And um, if you have your Bibles, it would be good to open to them because I'm going to be referring to some of the context around it and it might be helpful to you. But for those of you who don't, here it is up on the wall. While he was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten leprous men who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. 
Then Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. Well, in order to correctly interpret this story and why it's there at that particular time in the Bible, we've got to get inside Luke's head a little bit. Now, Luke was a physician. And um, physicians, uh, he thought like a physician. He was looking for evidence and, and, um, and eyewitness testimony and went around collecting all this data and had written this letter to a man named Theophilus um, <clears throat> about the biography of Jesus Christ. But one thing he does frequently in his book, and my Bible study girls all know this, is that Luke loved to compare. He loved to take one thing and put it up against another, and it was either events or people or responses of people, and he put them side by side to compare. And I was talking to one of my friends about this, and I said, it's just a thing for Luke that he does this. And she said, you know, I was telling my husband that last night. My husband's father is a doctor. And doctors, that's what they do. They take, you know, if you have a broken wrist, they take your good wrist and the one that's bad, and they compare them to see what's normal, what's not. So that would be really, a, that would be a thing that, of course, Luke would do. And it made me think of a story or a time when uh, that actually happened in our family. I was at a teaching conference, and my daughter Melanie, she's about eight years old, um, <clears throat> they were all home and um, playing on the bed, and Melanie fell off the bed and hurt her wrist. Well, it didn't discolor, it didn't swell, it didn't do anything, but she kept complaining about it. But I pretty much ignored her because Melanie was quite the drama queen, and you couldn't really believe anything she ever said. I can say this because she's not in the room. But anyway... <laughs> So she was one of those kids you were just like, yeah, it'll be all right. Well, about three weeks later, I grabbed her hand across the street, and she said, oh, Mom, please, that's my bad wrist. And I thought, okay, that wasn't planned. So I said, let's go to the doctor. So I bring her to the doctor, and the doctor takes her good wrist and her bad wrist, and she says, Mrs. Coleman, do you see this lump right here on Melanie's wrist? That's her bone. Yes, I'm the worst mother in the universe. <laughs> I was mortified. So we got her casted, and she's fine to this day. She doesn't have any lasting effects for my negligence. But I do have to tell you the rest of the story. About, I don't know, eight months later, we were um, having Easter, and we were sitting with friends out on our front porch, and the kids were riding their bikes on a cul-de-sac. Melanie came up on her bike, tipped over, fell off, and hurt her finger. And it really looked like it was broken. So I said, you know, before we go get x-rayed, I'm going to just get you to see the school nurse tomorrow morning and um, we'll just make sure, but I think we're going to need to get an x-ray. So she said, okay, so the next morning I bring her into Marie, and Marie takes her off, and she comes down to my classroom. She said, Julie, I really think it's broken. I think you need to get an x-ray. But I do want to tell you this, she said. I said to her, Melanie, you are not to be trying to do flips on your bike. I said, she wasn't doing flips. She rode up on the front yard and tipped over. So we get in the car. Now I'm already a little worried, because it was actually her third broken bone in one year. So the doctors are starting to look at me funny really funny. And so we're going to the, hospital, to the doctors, and I said, now, listen, Melanie, when we get there, I don't want any big stories. I don't want you making some big, tall tale up. I just want you to tell them exactly what happened, how you, you know, rode up on your bike, and just exactly what happened. Just tell them the truth. Okay, Mom. I said, oh, really, Melanie? No big stories. Yeah, okay, Mom. Okay. So we get in there. They're not even talking to me. Melanie, what happened to your finger? And I'm in the background going, so Melanie says, well, and I thought, oh my gosh, here it comes. She said, 
I was riding my bike, and I came on the front lawn, and I tipped over, and I hurt my finger. And that's really what happened. Right, Mom? So I, I went home and told my husband, I'm expecting social services momentarily. <laughs> but that's what doctors do. They compare. They compare. So they have the good with the bad. And that's what Luke was doing. And Luke was doing that. In this story, there's actually two separate incidences within the context of this story of the ten lepers. And I want to show you a chart that I made to kind of show you this parallel pattern that's happening. So the first time the lepers approach, they, they stood at a distance, they raised their voices, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Then they cry, uh, then Jesus responds, go and show yourself to the priest. And then Luke makes a statement of healing. As they were going, they were cleansed when he saw that he'd been healed. Well, then when that tenth leper turns around, the exact same sequence happens again. Turn back, glorifying God, fell on his face at his feet. Jesus' response, we're not ten cleansed. And then the statement of healing, stand up and go, your faith has made you well. So do you see that parallel going on there? And I think that's really important to note, that we're supposed to be looking at that a little bit. The other thing that I noticed is that as I looked at this parable, excuse me, I keep calling it a parable and I'm wrong, <laughs> at the story, um, that these people approach Jesus in faith. There's the language of faith all over this thing. First of all, they kept their distance. They knew they were unclean. They knew they could infect a healthy person, and they knew the rule. So they stayed away and called from a distance. And what did they call? Jesus, Master. They called him Master. They were acknowledging his power, his authority. And by the way, that word, Master, is used elsewhere in Luke, and it's always talking about someone who has the authority to heal. So they were using that specific word. And then they asked for mercy. You see, when you are a leper in the first century, or you were a leper in the first century, leprosy was more than just a physical illness. To everyone else around you, they felt that God gave you leprosy to judge you, that you had a sin problem, and that's the reason why you were sick. So anybody who was sick or poor or you know, had family tragedy, that was God's judgment. Horrible thing, but it's true. That's what they thought. And so they were asking for mercy, I think, on a couple of levels. Mercy for their illness, but then they just wanted to be clean, to be made whole. And they were asking for that, that mercy. They understood their position. And so they call him master, and then what do they do? He tells them, go and show yourselves to the priests. No healing has happened yet. He just tells them to go. Well, that's kind of interesting because there they are in leprosy. And you know what? If you try to go to the temple, if you try to go to a synagogue and you have leprosy, you're not getting in the door. You're supposed to stay away. But what do they do? They go. Trusting Jesus. They trust him. And as they're going, it says they were healed. And the word for healing right there is an immediate kind of a thing. It's a, it's a, 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 a one-moment thing. It wasn't a gradual healing, like, hey, things seem to look a little better. They looked down, and it was gone. And they knew that Jesus had healed them. <clears throat> but I think that each of the things that he tells us about these ten really shows us this is the language of faith. They believed. And, you know, Jesus didn't heal to produce faith. He healed to validate faith. And if there was not faith present, he didn't do it. So I think that those 10 believed who Jesus was, believed he could heal them, and, and in their faith, he did. 
So I think they were all healed because of that. But then we look at the second encounter, and that's totally different. He turns back. What does he do? He glorifies God with a loud voice. They were shouting the first time. They're shouting again. He's shouting again. But this time, he goes right up to Jesus, and he falls right at his feet. They were standing before, and this time he's falling at his feet. So you just see a whole nother level of, rea- of um, relation between Jesus and this man. But then what's interesting is Jesus says, were there not ten cleansed, but the nine, where are they? And then he says, was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Who's he talking to? He's not talking to the foreigner because he would have said you. But instead, he's talking to his disciples. So keep that in mind because I'm going to show you something in just a minute. And then what does Jesus say? He says, stand up and go and your faith has made you well. Well, what was going on here? I think, and from, from what I'm looking at and from, from the, the, the comparison of these two and the language, the Greek language that's used, I think that there were actually two kinds of healing that went on that day. Jess, we can get that next slide. Okay, two kinds of healing. The first and second encounter, they use two different words to describe healing, and they're very different from each other. The first one, and, it, and it's translated like this, and they were cleansed. You look up that word in the Greek lexicon, it says it was made clean from a physical stain or disease. So they were physically made well, right? Uh, But the second one has something different, and it didn't get translated well in my uh, version. It might get better in yours. But literally, it means your faith has saved you. Sozo, which is the Greek word for salvation we use all the time, okay? That word, cured, whole, healthy. So there's another level of healing, I feel, that took place from the first one, which they were cleansed, and the second one, where they're made whole. Your faith has saved you. Well, I think that's an important thing to, to, to look at. And here's the thing. Every time I've heard this story preached, and you, know, you hear it every once in a while, I never had any interest in really preaching this because it always bugged me. Because people always use this, this story to lay on guilt. Are you the one who's thankful, or are you like those nine ungrateful lepers, right? Have you ever heard that? I don't think that's what Luke is doing here at all. I think Luke is concentrating not on the nine, who, by the way, were just obeying Jesus and going to the priests, right? It's, it's focused on the one who came back. Well, what, what, what's that about? Well, I think then, when I can't figure that out, what I do is go back to the context, because the gospel writers very specifically put group stories together and make them together make a point. So I went back to the beginning of chapter 17, and I found that Jesus is talking to his disciples, and Peter asks, how much do we have to forgive somebody? You know, the old seven times, every offends me seven times, same time, and Jesus said 70 times seven. And Peter says, oh, you know, so this is what he says in verse three. He says, if your brother sins, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times a day saying, I repent, forgive him. And the apostles said, increase our faith. Because Jesus is asking something that seems pretty impossible to do. You know, we can all be big and forgive somebody the first time they do it. Second time's a little dicey. By the third, three strikes, baby. Right? So they, they, it's, it's a hard thing to think. Seven times seven? Like every day? Seven times seven? What? You know, 
That's too much. I need more faith. And this is what Jesus says. Faith as small as a mustard seed is enough. You don't need more faith. And then he tells a story. This is a parable. He tells a story about a guy who is out in the fields and he works all day, he's a slave, and he comes back in and, in, and he's not expecting his master to provide a nice meal for him after he's worked all day. He gets to work and, and makes the meal. And, and the whole point of the story is you do what you're supposed to do because it's your job, right? That's, his, that's what he's talking about. So he said this, so you too, disciples, when you have done all the things which are commanded you, say... We're unworthy slaves. We've only done that which we ought to have done. Jesus told this, remember, in response to them saying, we need more faith. We need more faith to do this. And Jesus says, no, no, no. Forgiving is a natural part of being my follower. I'm not asking you to do something that doesn't make sense here. After all, you've been forgiven so much yourselves. Like Matthew said, or Jesus said in Matthew, freely you have received freely give. So what is he saying to them? He's, and then, he, then Luke gives the story of these ten lepers with gratitude. Well, how does that all go together? Well, I think through this conversation and then the parable and then now this encounter with the lepers, Jesus is helping his disciples learn a principle that's going to help them to forgive, that's going to give them the power to forgive. They were afraid they didn't have enough faith. They didn't have what it takes but Jesus is showing them. To do what I'm asking, it doesn't take more faith. Small as a mustard seed is enough. The power to do this hard thing, forgiving over and over again, comes from expressing gratitude. Power to forgive comes from remembering how much you've been forgiven. Does that make sense? I hope I've made a clear path for you. It's... it's it's very clear in my head. <laughs> I hope it's clear in yours. But gratitude is remembering. If you want the power to forgive, then you remember how much you've been forgiven yourself. If you want to show mercy and love to someone, remember the mercy and love that God has shown for you unconditionally, time and time again. Gratitude's remembering. And when we remember of what God's done, the abundance of what he's given us overflows from our hearts and into the lives of others. And certainly that Samaritan leper, the one who came back, he got a special blessing from that. Somehow Jesus, through that act of gratitude, through that act of giving glory to God, somehow he was doubly blessed, more than the others who had not returned because of that uh, difference in the healing that he had been given. And I think that the disciples were about to benefit from it as well because it was going to empower them, enable them to obey that command on forgiveness, forgiving the perpetually offending brother. So, what? What do we come away with this passage for our lives um, here in the now? Well, the first thing we know is that we are called to be thankful. In 1 Thessalonians, Paul writes, In everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. In Philippians 4, 6, he also wrote, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer with, and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. I could have given you 100 verses. Um, we don't have time for that. But just take my word for it. <laughs> Why is it so important? Why is gratitude such a big deal? 
Well, I think as Jesus first taught his disciples, gratitude is the key to living out a life centered on God and in, in our, it's a key to our obedience. In counting our blessings, in remembering what God has done, we find the power to live out our faith. So I've given you two reasons why. The first is this. Gratitude supplies the proper perspective, the correct perspective. God is great. He's done amazing things and keeps God at the center when we're thankful. And, and um, it gives him credit where the credit's due. Remember, that man came back, and the first thing he did was glorify God. He put it right back at the center where it belonged. Gratitude is God-centered. And when we thank him, we're expressing our belief that the things in our life are evidence of a God who's at work in our behalf. Like James said, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. And when we thank him, we're acknowledging that our life is in his hands. Uh, that puts everything else we might be tempted to focus on in proper perspective. You remember a few weeks ago, actually a couple months ago now, um, when Steve and I were teaching on Habakkuk, we talked about um, the God-centered versus uh, problem-centered prayer. Jess, that's the next slide. Okay, and we talked about how the idea of if we're just focused on the thing, that it, it dwarfs God in our thinking and the perspective is wrong. But when we're focused on God, the problem becomes a small thing and it keeps everything in its proper perspective. So a right view of God as provider, as, as the one who's bestowed us with many blessings, that keeps us um, from making anything in our life overwhelming. A few years ago, or not, actually not a few years ago, yeah, it was last year, when the government went on their little, um, yeah, whatever, when nobody was getting paid, including my husband. And so, you know, I usually get stressed out when I write bills, but um, just because I just do, my, my, my girlfriend has to take a Prozac when she writes her bills. But anyway, so, and, but, you know, writing bills when there's no paycheck coming in, that's stressful. So I had all these bills done and everything, I put them out in the mailbox, and I'm walking along the road with Sasha in the morning, and I said, Lord, I'm just so stressed out. I, you know, where's this money going to come from? We only have so much in savings. And what do you want us to take out of our retirement? You know, I'm going on and on and, and telling him, man, I'm worried about my kids and this one's doing that and this one's got this problem and, you know, woe is me and I'm walking down the pathway and, and I'm thinking, why am I not feeling better? Because I was praying, I've been praying, you know, when everything, uh, what was that verse in, in Philippians? You know, let your request be made known to God, be anxious for nothing. I just did that. I'm still anxious. And then I remembered part of it. Let your with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And I thought, oh, yeah, I better start over. Okay, Lord, scratch that. So I started to turn every one of those complaints, those stresses, into thanksgiving. So instead of whining about how much the mortgage payment was, I thanked him for a beautiful home to live in and a safe, secure place to dwell um, rather than, you know, worrying about my children and all that was going on there, I thanked him for each one of those and, and for their spouses and for their my grandchildren that I have who are absolutely adorable. And I just had all these things. And by the time I got back from my walk, I was at peace because I knew there was a God on his throne and he was watching out for me and that I could depend on him. Even if my circumstances weren't peachy, I could look and say, you know what? God is. God, God's the one, and he's the one I'm looking at, not my problem. And therefore, um, 
I could be at peace. Gratitude is a great perspective changer. And it reminds us of the greatness of God. And also, the second point is that gratitude teaches us to trust him. He, we learn to trust in a God who is good. A God who's good. As we count our blessings, we remember all the things that he's done. It happens all the time in the Old Testament where the Hebrews write psalms about the goodness of God, the things that he's done in the past. They recall the past so they can trust him in the future. Here's one example, Psalm 78. And these are just things I pulled out of that psalm. Tell the generation to come of the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. He wrought wonders before their fathers in the land of Egypt. He divided the sea and caused them to pass through. He led them with the cloud by day and the night by light of fire. He split the rocks in the wilderness and gave them abundant drink like the ocean depths. He rained down manna upon them to eat, sent them food in abundance. You keep hearing this word abundance and big all the way through. And he, being compassionate, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. He led forth his people like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And as the Israelites remembered in gratitude what God had done in the past, they, that would empower them to trust him with their future. Well, we have that same effect. Gratitude has that same effect on us today. And in Romans 8.32, it tells us, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? God is good, and God has already done the hardest thing for us. The rest, piece of cake compared to that. So we can trust in his goodness. And Paul goes on to say at the end of that passage, for I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things come, nor, things, nor power, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. How do we know? Because he already did so much. And we know we can trust on his goodness in the future. So God is great. God is good. Let us thank him. This is Thanksgiving week. It's a time to count our blessings. We want to thank the one who's provided them all. And that very act of expressing gratitude will empower us it will help us to grow deeper in our trust in him and in his goodness. And remembering what he's already done will empower us to live for him in total obedience, gladly submitting to what he's called us to do, both now and the future. So give thanks. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for the great God that you are. I thank you for the powerful, wonderful things that you've uh, displayed about yourself in your word. I thank you for the... Uh, the amazing gift of salvation you've given us for the grace and mercy you continually bestow on us all the time that we live breathing in your grace. It's just an amazing thing, God. Help us to remember that. Help us to never take for granted who you are and what you are to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 
Thank you for listening to New Hope Chapel's New Hope podcast. Chapel's located podcast. in Arnold, Maryland, New Hope Chapel is a small expression of the much larger body of Christ that spans across the world. We're a group of believers helping each other on our lifelong journeys to become like Jesus. While we have a variety of distinctives that make us a unique church, our main desire is to be God's church, to love Him, follow Him, to learn from Him, to let Him lead us and change our lives. We are His disciples, and He is our rabbi. He is our rabbi. Join us in the story that God is writing called New Hope Chapel. To learn more about our church, visit us at newhopechapel.org or check us out on Facebook slash newhopechapelmd. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and iTunes. Music kindly provided by the least of these. Thanks again for listening and God bless.